So welcome to Invest in Scale. This is your host, Gabriel Murillo, episode 23. In this episode, we have Gene Edmonds. He is giving us a peek inside of the search fund model. Search fund model has been around for over 15 years, and he has been able to be at the forefront of this industry in terms of the search fund, the traditional model that Stanford observes. And here we talk about his journey, how he went and acquired a business that didn't go as planned. And then his learnings allow him to then join this private equity group and really help other people in, in an advisory role and as an investor with, with those companies. So we talk about the traditional search fund versus the self-funded search fund path talk about business graduates and the kind of requirements for some of the search funds the criteria that they have and this is episode 23 and with that enjoy this episode thanks hey gene welcome to the show hey thanks for having me excited to meet you well yeah so it's the first time that i'm having officially somebody from the search fund community searchfunds.net is Gene's website, but Gene, it has a tremendous background in terms of buying, operating, and investing in, in small businesses and larger businesses, really. But i um, excited to hear more about your background, Gene. So to get started, I'd love to just maybe dive into a little bit of your professional background before you started buying businesses. What led you into that and what was kind of your core focus in, in your professional work? Sure. So I uh, before business school, I had stints working on Wall Street and in business development for a, a retailer, uh, PetSmart.com. And then I I went to Stanford Business School where search funds is, a, is an important part of the curriculum. And I, while there, really thought that I didn't want a conventional career. And uh, search funds were very attractive to me. I didn't think I was the kind of person with a great idea to build a startup, but I liked the idea of uh, building a business, having agency over my day, and being part of a small company and a leader. So after business school, I did a stint at McKinsey, but then ultimately left to go and, and work with someone I had worked with on Wall Street to do a search fund. This would have been 2004. And we looked and we ended up buying a business, a portrait studio business in the Midwest. Uh, at the time, the conventional wisdom in search was that you should not buy retail businesses. And to be perfectly honest, we proved the conventional wisdom right. It was a tough business. We weren't, didn't necessarily have the marketing skills required to compete and were weighed down by the CapEx and, and then really muddled along and then and had a bad experience during the, uh, the the Lehman Brothers recession. But I loved the work, the skill development was fantastic. And the lead investor in my deal was a guy named Rich Kelly who had started Search Fund Partners. And he asked me to come and join them in 2008. And so I've been working at Search Fund Partners since then. We're a small private equity fund that builds our portfolio exclusively by working with traditional search fund entrepreneurs. And I've been on the boards of, oh, 15 or 20 companies over the past 15 years and, and, and have had a really great experience working with awesome entrepreneurs and building some pretty exciting businesses. Exciting. Very, very exciting. And, and that's quite a long time in the, in the search fund world. Yeah, uh, at least saying for, for the new. Okay. That's fair. Yeah, no, I mean, it's cool. Like now it's sexy and fun, but I'm pretty sure back then in 2018, it was a smaller it was, community. It, it was, was more eccentric. Yeah. You know, I, it wasn't as easy to get involved. It wasn't as easy to learn about it. I was lucky that, that Stanford had a lot of alums who had done it, some great classes on it, and, and some friends of mine had done it beforehand. And, and I knew 
that it was exciting and, and a potentially very rewarding path. So I, but yes, it's been exciting to see how it's grown and, you know, spread to a lot of the top business schools and has become more mainstream. So yeah, back in 2018, I, I assume it was pretty, pretty different. The search world, search fund world, it was very, very different than what it is right now. Right now it's sexy and exciting, but back then, what was that like? Yeah, it definitely was different and it was considered a more eccentric career path than others. The, uh, you know, very few, you know, now maybe, oh, I don't know, 75 to 100 search fund attempt to launch in a year. And back then it was maybe, you know, four or five. And I was lucky that I had some friends who had done it prior to me and a lot of alums from my school had done it. So I could get comfortable and familiar with it. But it's gradually grown over the past two decades and, and really started to take off maybe 10 or 12 years ago. And there's a lot of resources out there to learn about it, a lot of investors and a lot of great examples of companies that have been very successful with the search fund model. I think at the time, as I think back two decades ago, there was a real, people would have a real fear that, you know, you would do a search fund and then maybe if it didn't work out, and, and as you know, maybe one third of search funds don't find a company that you would be sort of stuck, that you'd have painted it yourself into a corner professionally. But I, the experience has shown that searchers who put a lot of effort into it and conduct themselves with a lot of integrity will have great career options because the skill of development during the search is very valuable and, and can be used in a lot of different applications. Yeah, makes sense. And in terms of... Oh- you know, the, the model itself, it's it's kind of the same and it's been evolving in different terms or different industries that are now popping up and like maybe even deal sizes and whatnot. But what are some of the core differences that you noticed since you guys started a few years ago and now are there, is, is there like a, an evolved model now or? Well, I think that a couple of, of things jump, jump to mind. First off, 20 years or so ago, the book said, you know, avoid technology companies, that the, that the pace of change in technology and, you know, the development costs required meant that software businesses maybe weren't appropriate for relatively inexperienced managers. And over the past, oh, 10 years, that's turned on its head. And, and the software companies themselves, not every CEO needs to have a PhD in computer science to run one. There's just a lot of very stable niche software companies that really lend themselves to the search fund model. They've got high recurring revenue, sticky clients, and a lot of software companies are, you know, might have a great product, but the owners are happy with what they have and maybe aren't as aggressive about reinvesting into sales and marketing. And you put a talented, ambitious entrepreneur in a company like that who's eager to build for the long run and, and develop that sales and marketing, you can get a really successful outcome. So I'd say number one is the, you know, we maybe do about a third of the deals that we do are our software deals. And pretty much every deal has a technology component. You can't escape it these days. And then the other changes are that, you know, 20 years ago, all search invest, traditional search investors were very wealthy entrepreneurs and individual investors. And, you know, we, we started as a fund a while back, and then there have been a number of funds who've come into the space. And so there's a lot of great investors with deep pockets and full-time resources to devote to supporting entrepreneurs. And that's been exciting. And I think that's also helped grow grow the space and that, you know, firms are out marketing themselves and, and promoting search funds among prospective entrepreneurs. And so you're getting more people coming in and then they're getting quite a bit of support. 
Uh, and I think the other trend that's worth commenting on is that there's been a lot of sort of multi-site healthcare deals done in the past five years. That's become a popular area. And just given the, the powerful trends behind healthcare spend in the United States, and you didn't see those deals 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Great. I think I was talking to somebody a few days ago. They they were, you know, I was, we were having a conversation about search funds, and he made a funny comment, which I think is silly, but it was kind of true. He said, "What do you mean with search funds? Like every investment fund is searching for a company. Like, well, that's right, but you know, search funds are very different, and and nowadays it's even more confusing. Where you know, somebody literally an individual will." star like literally buy a domain and hey i'm a search phone but you guys are way different you guys have been doing this for a long time correct and even on on searchfunds.net i think you guys have a methodology a process a very unique thing that sets you apart so what are how would you describe what is it that you guys do compared to other search funds out there well a traditional search fund that would raise money from us and our you know serial co-investors they're, you know, they're raising maybe a half a million dollars to underwrite a search for a couple of years if it's an individual. And, you know, unlike an investment firm, they have a diverse group of investors. They have maybe 10 or 15 different partners who are each contributing and, and helping them in different ways. And so you'll get a, a searcher who raises a traditional search fund. My firm will buy maybe eight to 12% of that fund, but we're not by any means in control. The searcher is in control and they will populate their cap table with a variety of firms like ours or a, a, as well as successful operators. And truth be told, most of the firms are uh, former operators as well. So there's a heavy emphasis on people who've run companies in the investor base. And then what they get is, you know, they get access to a whole variety of different industries in terms of their investors' expertise and and different proclivities. And they but they also are running it. It's not like they're an associated or private equity firm who has a boss and has to follow certain guidelines. They get wide discretion over where they can go and look and find the business. Because what they owe their investors is an option to invest in a deal, not necessarily the requirement. So they can find a deal that maybe doesn't, you know, that really appeals to them, but maybe, you know, a third of their investors might not like it and won't exercise their option. So the entrepreneur is able to get a lot of choice about what they end up selecting and a lot of independence in terms of how they go about it. And their investors are truly partners. We're there to help, but we're not there to direct. And so versus certainly an unfunded searcher has, you know, complete discretion over that. But the the person who raises a search fund has people who have invested cold, hard cash in them and have a financial incentive to see them succeed. And I think that can be really, really quite helpful. Yeah. Okay. And there's, you know, a lot of debate on the different models within the search funds and the self-funded search funders. <laughs> this is kind of like a, a words trick in here. But anyways, with, with the people that are going the path of like getting an SBA loan and buying after $10 million companies versus you know, some of the people that are buying larger companies, but they may not necessarily get that much equity. There's a whole debate out right. there. There's some, some really cool groups talking about the pros and cons. And it's a heated debate, but I'm wondering if, from your perspective, what are some of the good and the bad in terms of what your model? I think it's really exciting that there's a lot of choice. And so prospective searchers can find the right model for them. With a traditional search, 
an entrepreneur has an opportunity to earn up to 25% if it's a single search of the upside and 30% if it's a pair. And yes, the SBA loan allows you to get potentially more than that. And that's great. But by raising the fund, you get a lot of help. You are able to pursue the search without having to cut corners because you're feeling personal pressure financially. And you're getting partners who over the past 20 or 30 years have pretty impressive track record of investing and picking winners. You know, the Stanford study comes out with the returns for traditional search every couple of years. And historically, the returns have consistently been in the, in the mid-30s, which is pretty darn good. And so I think for someone who is willing to give up a little bit of the upside, they're going to get great partners. They're going to get a chance to earn a lot of money. And likely as not, they'll be able to get a bigger deal than they would if they pursued a self-funded search. Granted, you know, there's all kinds of deals that get founded through self-funded, but with the traditional search fund model, there's a skew towards a little bit larger deals, which then also offer more return potential. Yeah. Now, in terms of the operators being one of the core variables in the whole success equation for an investment like this, is is that kind of your secret sauce, like identifying who could be this great operators, or is it more on the deal itself? Yeah, I, I wish I was... It was just paint by numbers in terms of figuring out who the great operators are. You know, the models become popular at, you know, all the top business schools, you know, the 10 or 20 top business schools in the States. Almost all the people who think about pursuing traditional search have great resumes and backgrounds. There is a little bit of luck in terms of who ends up finding companies. But, you know, in each case, we want entrepreneurs that we think have a really high ceiling. And then the investors are really bought into a mentorship model where we're taking relatively inexperienced entrepreneurs, but who all have a hunger to learn and get better and don't take themselves too seriously. And we partner with them and can coach them and help mitigate their, the impact of their inexperience while they get up the learning curve. And similarly, we look for businesses that are pretty resilient and can absorb a leadership transition, particularly to one, someone who more often than not has not run a company before. And so, yeah, we look for exceptional operators and high potential people, but we also build a model that sort of takes on their uh, relative lacks of experience and, and, and sets them up to succeed in a new environment. Yeah. Now, in terms of that part specifically where you're supporting, you're providing all this resources and infrastructure, mentorship, connection, what are some of the things that you do not do in that partnership that, for example, like a venture capitalist will do with their portfolio companies? Is there a set of things that you do not do compared to, you know, this, the traditional startup world, for example? You know, my sense is that our businesses tend to be, you know, I, I've never been a venture capitalist, but my sense is that there it's your each quarter and it, it's just much more risky and, and high leverage. And that each quarter you're, facing, you know, really big strategic decisions that could, you know, you're sort of betting the company repeatedly and you're taking a lot of risk. With the search fund business, again, a good search fund business is pretty steady as she goes and you're not having to make huge decisions or your your survival isn't dependent on getting a big new sale. And so that that sort of changes the calculus and the sense of urgency around it. 
and and the businesses are just a lot less risky and and you know we we lose money on a less, much less frequent basis than traditional venture capital. Alternatively, we don't get nearly as many hundred to ones, but that, that I think informs the difference. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. And I'm here on your website, searchfunds.net for the people listening. You'll go to portfolio companies. You'll see an extensive list of all the companies that search fund partners have invested in the past and currently portfolio companies. So it's, it's a quite a good list of different companies, in different industries. And, you know, Jim, for, for you and your experience, whatever you can share, I understand a lot of, a lot of the information on this investments is, is confidential, but are there any cases that you can share, like, you know, success story on things that you really enjoy a company or, or a model for people to talk about either deal structure or examples of how that, you know, was a, a success story? Yeah, we, we've had a lot of really great, we, we've been lucky to be involved with a lot of really great companies and a lot of great entrepreneurs. I think of a company called Raptor Technologies, which was acquired by a former Marine named Jim Vesterman. And it was a company that had a great product. It was provided name badges for people who were visiting the schools. And then it would check those people against the background of people visiting schools against various criminal databases and custody databases. And it was a really great tool for school security, which is obviously something that, that we all care very much about and unfortunately haven't always done a great job at. And the entrepreneur saw that this was a great product, but the growth rate maybe hadn't been as high. And he saw and thought that he could get in there and really energize sales and marketing and and make this sort of the de facto school safety product in the United States. And he did it. He, he acquired the bunny, the business for a fair price. He worked very closely with the former owner in terms of ensuring a smooth transition. And then he went out and did a great job executing largely on sales and marketing. And you know, was able to ultimately sell it up the food chain and get a great return. And that's the kind of thing we look for largely is, you know, really great product, but that would benefit from some extra investment in sales and marketing, which, you know, a lot of very successful small business owners, they could very well be happy with what they've built and not want to spend all the time and attention to take a company to the next level. But the search entrepreneurs come in and provide that energy and, are so often able to take companies to that next level and make them very attractive to mid-market private equity, which provides great returns for everyone. Yeah. And actually, this is a, a very specific question. I didn't I not have this in my notes, but just thinking about in terms of setting goals for the company itself, let's say, like you're saying, somebody just bought a company that the previous owner was got it to a really great point, you know, but then the company require some more capital, more marketing and sales, and that sure. meant the profits were not going to be the same. In terms of like setting those goals, how much of that is driven by the operator versus, you know, a fund like you guys in terms of like the guy say, you know what? It's a really good question. I mean, when the operators put the deals together to buy these companies, they put together a, a, a private placement memo that and they build a model that outlines the long-term goals. And then you get in the company and we really put a lot of emphasis on measurement and performance versus budget and bringing that sort of management discipline to bear on the companies. And the CEO will do that in conjunction with the board. Every deal has a very active involved board of directors, which will include largely former operators, uh, successful former operators and, and, and really, really smart finance types. And they'll work together to build a budget that with an eye towards creating value in the long run. And I think 
I think one of the reasons search funds has been successful is you take these folks who've, who've mostly gone to business school and, 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 and have learned about, you know, KPIs and metrics and measurement, and you're giving them a chance. To, they're, you're, they're bringing that skill set to businesses that might not have had that to the degree in the past. And so it's really you build companies that are performance oriented and very accountable. Yeah, understood. And I think this is a little bit beyond your question, but I think we found, and I'm sure you're finding in your own business, that culture is just critical, that you want to build the best companies have really, really strong culture where where employees are bought in and feel respected and where where performance is, is measured and, and acknowledged and celebrated. And I think we've had a lot of success by really paying attention to culture and, and that starts at the top. Yeah, I think that's aligned with what you were just talking about performance and setting, you know, those, those goals. I think that, you know, last month McKinsey just posted this about the top reasons for people quitting the previous job. And one of the top reasons was like the lack of career development and advancement, inadequate total compensation, uncaring and uninspiring leaders. So yep. those things will also be determined by the new owner or in this case, you know, the the, the advisors or in that strategy behind the new owner. I, ideally, you get companies that have great culture to begin with, but w the new leader needs to, well, hopefully get great culture that they can build on, but they, they need to embody that culture and set the tone and act consistently with it at all times. Yeah. And then I think starts with the CEO and some CEOs are better than others. But it's certainly something that the board pays attention to. But the board's not there every day. They're not in the meetings. They're not calling people out who may be acting consistently with the company's culture, or they're not celebrating the people who best demonstrate the culture. So it really is is the CEO who needs to be the caretaker of the culture. Yeah, and generally for the type of companies that you guys invest in, do you require to have an established management team, or have you ever invested in a company without a management team? With most search fund deals. The existing leadership, the existing CEO or the owner will usually transition out at some, at some point. And there are a, a substantial minority of cases where they might change their role and, and be a partner. But in every case, the searcher will become the CEO. And the people who are drawn to this model want that responsibility and want to be the leader. Yeah. Now, why will somebody, like you're mentioning, a leader, why will somebody that has the credentials, maybe business school, and they have some corporate experience, what would it be some of the reasons that you personally, not necessarily as an investor or like search funds, but as a friend, like a friend comes to you and say, Jim, sh should I pursue the search fund model with you know a group like you or, or some of the groups? And what would it be a recommendation for you to say, like, do not do this? I think people are drawn to it because they really want to be their own boss. They want more control over their destiny. They really want to lead a team and do it properly and help develop people. And they're not, they're frustrated and they're not satisfied in corporate America. And they, they want to take a little bit more risk and bet on themselves. And if you're really happy at a consulting firm and imagine yourself being a director there one day, church funds probably aren't for you. But if you want to build a small business and build teams and help people develop and be a real hands-on manager in a small business where you've got wide control over your destiny, then search firms probably are for you. And if you're willing to take the risk. And then I think we tend to 
focus a disproportionate amount of attention on the winners. There are people who don't find companies and there are people who find companies and then don't necessarily succeed with them. I would say that search funds, that risk is real. But again, the skill development that you get, the learnings that you'll get if you do it the right way will benefit you and your career, no matter the specific outcome on your first deal. Yeah, totally. No, that's that's a, a great way to put it. And I think right now what's happening in the industry, and at least what I'm seeing, it's, it's, it has become an exciting thing to do. And 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 now the, the sexy thing, it's the boring businesses. Everybody's talking about it. And now it's, you know, before it was Silicon Valley and it's the hot and sexy and whatnot. And now it's boring businesses. And it's just kind of overwhelming to think that, yeah, yeah, you just buy a business and then it literally you just enjoy the benefits of it. No, you still got to operate. It's still pretty hard. It's very challenging. It's very complex. It's darn hard, right? Yes. Like, there's nothing sexy about it. It's pretty exacting. But if you love what if you love it and you believe in yourself, it's easier than working for someone else in something that you don't believe in. Yeah. What, what are some of the gate without naming any company, right, to protect the, the, their names and whatnot? Any cases that you can share that did not go out well and like they, they didn't go as planned and the business just went down after yeah, you guys invested? Absolutely. I mean, I, I referred to my own experience, which was a great investment in the retail sector. And there have been some other deals in retail that, that have succeeded and now have not succeeded. And, and we don't touch the space. There have been cases where there were pretty severe mistakes during diligence and, and where maybe owners have defrauded searchers and search investors, despite, you know, we put a lot of effort into diligence, but you can occasionally miss some things. And, and uh, there, there can be very difficult sellers that, that ultimately will, will torpedo the company going forward. And that's, that's, that's a risk. You know, we do put some leverage on the deal. We don't certainly don't leverage deals to the extent that private equity does. But if you get crossways with the bank pretty early, that, that can be very difficult for an inexperienced manager to do. And, you know, there have been some software deals and non-software deals where we, we maybe have underestimated the capital investment required. And that, and, and that can be an unpleasant surprise to have to go and tell your board that you need $3 million more million either to bring the product up to code or buy new trucks or whatnot. And, and, and those, those are some of the, the things that can be problematic. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Now, in terms of what you guys are doing at searchfunds.net, you have still an open, I think this is an annual convocation that you guys, is that the way that you recruit the searchers? What? Yeah. So we invite, we invite all of our active searchers. We usually have about 35 searchers paired or single that we work with at any given time. We invite all of our CEOs of our, you know, we've got quite a few portfolio companies. We invite them to get together every year. And it's been something that's been going on. It, it started in a small hotel conference room in 2004 with like eight people around the table complaining how hard it was to find great businesses. And, and it's grown and blossomed over the years. And so it's a, it's a nice event we do for the people we work with. And as you referred to earlier, search funds weren't very well known back then. But it's exciting to see that, you know, there's a number of great demic conferences that business schools will put on and other industry events. And so there's a lot of great opportunities for people who are new to space to come and learn and meet people. Yeah. And in, in order for somebody to apply to work with you guys, what is that process? So for people listening, is there, you know, some... Yeah, it's it's pretty straightforward. I, I think most of the people who pursue this model will go to like a business school's website, like 
Stanford or Harvard and begin learning about it and doing research and, and listen to you know your podcast and others. And you will often go and talk to a lot of people who are currently searching or have run companies and, and just get intelligence about whether it might be the right fit. And then having done that, they'll put together a private placement memorandum and they'll go and, and talk to the investors that they would be interested in, in having on board. And so we, you know, we're always happy to talk to people who are kicking the tires on whether it's the right thing for them. But the formal process begins when they send us a PPM and, and schedule a meeting with us to, to sell us on their idea and, and also learn a little bit more about us and whether we might be the right fit. Excellent. Very, very cool. Uh, well, great. I think, you know, now shifting gears and just talking a little bit more about the industry in, in general, like I said, there's a lot of movement and, and I think Stanford, like you mentioned, just published the, the last report just, uh, just very recently and I'll add the links in, in the show notes for people listening, very uh, helpful report on all things search funds. But what are some of the things that have surprise you in in your industry in the past few months or years that are kind of new or different I think, from yeah you know the, the number one thing that surprised me i i lived through the um the post lehman brothers sort of financial crisis and we and the industry did very very few deals in 2009 those deals that did get done turned out very well but if you launched a search in 2007 or 2008 you had a really hard time finding a company because just seemed like the whole world stopped. Owners didn't want to sell. Banks didn't want to lend. And it was just it was a very, very difficult time to buy a company. And so when COVID hit in 2020, my partners and I assumed that we would have a repeat of 2009 and that searchers would really struggle to find deals despite their best efforts and couldn't get bank financing and that it would be a very slow year. And what happened was quite the opposite. It was 2020 and 2021 were the busiest years in my firm's history by far. And it, it you could buy really great businesses. And I think there are a number of reasons for that. I think, you know, owners were exhausted navigating the pandemic, those early days of the pandemic, and just felt like they wanted to take risk off the table and go retire, which I think is, is probably sensible. And then like last year you had these misplaced fears about big tax hikes. And so I think the thing that surprised me most in the past few years is just how vibrant the acquisition markets have been despite some, you know, pretty severe dislocations in the economy. Yeah. It's very hard to understand what's going on <laughs> to really. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. It definitely is. And this year has been a little quieter, but for 20 years, people have been writing in search from PPMs about this generational transfer of wealth and all these baby boomers who maybe don't have family members who want to take over the companies. And it wasn't just filler in a, in a marketing document. It's true. I mean, there's a lot of great businesses out there with older owners who don't have a successor in mind, maybe don't want to fight, sell to the strategic that they've been fighting all of their life. And they're ripe to sell to a younger person who's really talented and highly energetic and is going to be a great caretaker for their business. And I don't see that going away anytime soon. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's exciting for sure. And now in terms of, you know, again, your industry and, and the perception that people have about search funds, what is, what is one of the things that you think people understood better about the work that you guys do at search funds or even that you do personally in, in the search fund world? What do people know now better about, Search funds than they maybe used to, i.e. maybe some misconceptions? 
Yeah, exactly. So kind of like people that are completely wrong about thinking what they think about what you do or what the search funds group does. Yeah, I think I think people are a lot better educated about what we do and there's just and, and what our co-investors do and how search funds work. It, again, it, it it was pretty hard to learn about search funds a while back, but now there's a lot of information on the web. There's these conferences and you can go out. I mean, we've worked with over a hundred entrepreneurs over the years, and it's pretty easy to get a sense of how we work with people just from talking to them. And the same goes for all our co-investors. So if someone's thinking about search now, they don't have to work very hard to get pretty knowledgeable about who the right partners are for them and how search funds work and the difference between the various models, funded and unfunded. I think that's great because it, it means people are able to make decisions with better information. I do worry, though, that you referred to search funds being a little bit more sexy now. You do worry about people who don't fully understand just exactly how hard this is, as you know, having done it, and that maybe it, it's a little too easy to raise a fund or whatnot and, and maybe aren't as prepared for adversity as maybe they once were. And that is a challenge. I mean, it used to be that it would take many months to raise a search fund. But now there's a lot of investors out there. And if you've got a good resume, it shouldn't take you many months to raise a search fund. And yet that old process of having to struggle and get rejected and having to work really hard to do it was a great screening mechanism for people who were the most motivated to do something that's very hard. Yeah, I think what excites me the most about doing this type, having a, this type of conversation with people like you and groups like you know, your group is, is getting to the core of like the original, right? Like the, the original method and just, I'm I'm not here to just, uh, there's some people out there talking about like all the failures and that's cool too. I, I'm trying to be in the middle. So there's a lot of other podcasts that it's all success and bells and whistles. And that's cool. That's exciting. Even books. And I'm part of a, a lot of um, masterminds right now for, you know, acquisition entrepreneurs. But somebody told me something last one that really blew my mind. And I was like, wow, that's exactly why I want to double down the podcast. He said, Gabriel, there's no incentive for people to tell you not to buy a business. Like all the people that you're here now, they're, they're either brokers or, for example, there's this book called Buy Them Bill, which I love worker. I'm part of his mastermind. I pay for, for his mastermind, you know, for, for the yearly subscription, whatnot. And it's, there's this group of people that are super motivated to buy a business, but he was right. There's nobody telling you like, hey, do not buy a business because X, Y, Z. Everyone's like, yeah, you can buy a business. And there's people out there even teaching, like buying a business with no money down, which is, sounds terrible. But I know it's possible. And even the search fund models, like you're kind of not putting your own money, but really you're putting your life and your career and everything into that opportunity. But it is pretty impressive to see how a lot of People just saying, yeah, buy a business, the easiest way to build wealth, which is kind of true. But at the same time, you still got to put in the work. It's still a massive yeah. project, you know? Yeah. And, and in my case, we have to put our money where our mouth is. I mean, I'm not going to encourage someone to buy a business that I think is a bad business. I'm not going to write a check on that. And so I think one of the things that people who pursue the traditional search fund model are looking for is some of that pattern recognition from their investors about, yeah, I mean, I think in general, buying a business and being an entrepreneur is great, but buying a bad business is really not great. And I'm not going to put my money in a bad business. So I'm going to work really hard to help our search partners find a good one. Hmm. 
Yeah, and that's the value of of having the right team. Yeah, I think that's really what what I'm lacking, and that's why I'm kind of now going above of just this this whole level of people like doing it on their own, and they do it because they say, "Yeah, we don't have want to have any bosses." But I'm at the point where I'm like, I really want to have partners, not bosses per se. Even though I do want to be hold accountable, I think it's it's not the same as like you know with a venture capital or like the startup. It's maybe the other extreme where you have to do this, you have to grow at all costs, or you're gonna miss your next round. Or you're not going to be able to do yeah, that see and you're under pressure, you know? Yeah, I think that's fair. And you talked also earlier about venture capital. I think I think one of the things that's made traditional search very successful is is the mentorship model. But I think there's also a lot of patience and understanding. And, and so if someone has a bad quarter, it's not the end of the world. And I think that's a little bit harder in venture capital where you need to get the next round of financing. You've got to hit these milestones. And traditional search fund investors who've worked with a lot of relatively inexpensive Experienced entrepreneurs in the past are, are 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 really good at being patient and supportive of the entrepreneurs. Yeah, yeah. Now, in terms of of the vision for the next three to five years for your group, are you looking to invest in a set amount of businesses? Is it more driven on the size of the business or a, a, an amount of capital that you guys want to deploy, or how are you guys perceiving kind of the future of of your group? I think we are going to continue to try to work with great entrepreneurs. We'll back, you know, 15 to 20 searchers a year and we'll do that indefinitely. We, we don't try to get a certain amount of money out the door. We've got flexibility where if, if we think things, if we balk at like really high prices or, you know, we can take a couple quarters off from investing. So we don't need to use it or lose it. But I, I, I'm pretty optimistic. I mean, the, the deals that we've done in the past year, have all gotten off to pretty good starts and, you know, we've got some pretty cool companies in the pipeline and, you know, I am completely unqualified to determine, you know, whether or not there's going to be a big recession or anything like that. But, you know, as long as we're buying good businesses and we're not putting too much leverage on them, they should be able to withstand the economic cycle. And so we're, we're just going to try to continue executing the playbook that we've done over the, you know, over many years, backing great entrepreneurs and resilient businesses and, and helping them grow. And, you know, I think as long as there's so much money out there in private equity, there's going to be demand for small businesses with great managers that reach a certain threshold. And our goal is, and we don't put so much leverage on the deals that, you know, if interest rates, if the prime rate goes up to, you know, 9% or something like that, that's, that's not going to hammer us too hard. Great. Well, yeah, that's an exciting vision and, and congrats on that. And I think you just now headed to the end of, of the this episode for today, the switching gears and just talking a little bit more about kind of your perspective as an investor. What gets you excited out of all these deals and like what how do you stay inspired by either, you know, books or conferences or mentors? What's your, your source of inspiration? I, I just really love working with the people. I you know, I think you probably found in your own work, like the kind of people who are drawn to this, who are willing to take a chance on themselves, who want to take the less conventional path. I just find those people really exciting, dynamic, and I just feel lucky that my life is filled with them. And then I just find the journey of building a small company over the years and watching it grow and hiring great people and promoting great people and developing the team it just it's just very rewarding and not you know financially sure but just in terms of like being surrounded by great people doing exciting things and important work it's just it's 
very easy for me to get up in the morning and come to work. And I think the community of searchers who all know how hard it is, it's a very generous sharing community that's respectful of others. And likewise with my investor colleagues, they're just really great people who've got great values and really smart and interesting. And it's, it just makes it really fun to come. It's just being, it's like being on a great team. And I, I think that's what people comment on most who are new to this is just what a great community it is. And I think that comes from the fact, well, A, it was set in place by the early searchers. They established that culture, but I think it's just also, this is humbling and everyone knows how hard it is. And so your instinct is to help someone versus to just think about yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the name of the game, right? Like it's the, it's the teamwork. It's, not, you know, the, the solopreneurship, it's sexy again on Twitter. It's a lot of solopreneurs or there, there are books that are being launched right now. of like, yeah, businesses without employees. And that just sounds terrible, at I least am. in my opinion, because it takes out of the fun and the excitement of building this meaningful relationship. So it sounds like you and your partners is something that you guys prioritize meaning people in great teams. And I'm, I'm seeing your website. I don't know if, if that was in the past, but you were the treasurer of building features now, a nonprofit dedicated to helping high potential students. Are you still doing that or, or were you back then? Uh, involved? I'm not as involved there. That organization actually got folded into a really cool organization out here called Peninsula Bridge. But I have always been interested in um, developing youth and, and, and trying to get educational opportunities to people who, who aren't, you know, who, who, by the luck of the draw, I don't have them. And, and that's just something that's, that's always been something I'm, I'm unfortunately pretty focused on my own three kids now. <laughs> so, but it's something I certainly hope to get back to because it's just so important that, that opportunities in this country be widely available for any young person who wants. Absolutely. Well, Jim, anything else that you'd like to share with the search fund communities, any word of advice or, you know, recommendations? I, I just really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to, talk, to meet you. And, and certainly if any of your listeners would be interested in following up, they can reach me at jim at searchfunds.net and always happy to talk about search, always excited to talk to potential entrepreneurs and, you know, just appreciate you having me on. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate your time as well. That's searchfunds.net and uh, love with the, with the new cohort, the new group of people in the search and uh, keep up the good work. Great. Thanks, my friend. Take care. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye. Thank you.